if the culture is strong and, you know, we've got the right people, the way I look at it is in the next generation, regardless of what they'll have to deal with, flying cars and who knows what else, they'll have what they need to figure it out and to come up with a plan that's appropriate for the times to continue to provide, to be an important part of society, you know, uh, helping our customers uh, be protected from risk. Let's discover what people are building in the greater Cleveland community. We are telling the stories of Northeast Ohio's entrepreneurs, builders, and those supporting them. Welcome to the Lay of the Land podcast, where we are exploring what people are building in Cleveland. I am your host, Jeffrey Stern, and today I had the real pleasure of speaking with Ed Largent, the president, CEO, and board chair of Westfield. Very few companies in the world can boast the longevity that Westfield can, which is celebrating its 175th year of existence. Originally founded by a small group of Ohio farmers in 1848, Westfield is now one of the largest non-public companies in Ohio, the largest employer in Medina County, and has grown to be one of the nation's leading property and casualty insurance companies with recent international expansion and as the largest writer of contract performance bonds in Ohio with over $2.5 billion in direct written premium and $8.5 billion in consolidated assets. Ed joined Westfield in 1986 and was later appointed CEO and president of Westfield in 2015 after having served in a variety of previous leadership roles, including as Westfield's administration leader and chief technology officer. In our conversation today, we explore the ingredients that make for longevity and unpack how and why Westfield has been able to balance its multi-generational growth and commitment to ensuring the financial stability of its customers all without sacrificing its own resiliency and anti-fragility through some of the most risk-on periods in American history, exploring this tension over time between the necessity of reinvention and homage to their rich history. We talk about the importance of cultivating people and empathy, being grounded in purpose, and aligning culture around these tenets. It was a real privilege to hear from Ed and his reflections on leadership and on Westfield's history, present, and future going forward. So please enjoy my conversation with Ed Largent. To kick us off, congratulations on 175 years. And thank you. Thank you for, for coming on to, to share the story of Westfield in, in celebration of a, an undeniable milestone here. That's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to it. So I, I was thinking about where the, the best place to start might be, and I was thinking that through the, the podcast, a lot of the stories that we get to hear and unpack are about what it takes to start something and to build something from scratch at the most nascent stage of entrepreneurship. And yeah, I would love to, to learn about Westfield's origins and founding. It's an important part of the story, and, and, I, and we'll get there. But I'll put it out there at the beginning of our conversation today that a theme that I really would love to unpack with you is is longevity, because I think it would be a fair statement to say that every business ends at some point, <laughs> and it's it's just a matter of when. And over the grand scale of time, most most things are ephemeral, and uh, but there's always a long tail where something persists for much longer than is probable. And when it comes to business, there are just not that many examples of organizations that can boast the the kind of longevity in history. That, that you have 175 years later. And so 
with that, I think it would be a fun place to start by just asking about how you build a business that lasts and stands this brutal test of time that most others do not get to survive. So when, when you think about longevity, you know, what, what do you believe are the, the most important factors that, that set Westfield apart? Yeah, it's a great question. It's a, it's a complex one that does, does not, I don't think, have really a simple answer. But I'd, I'd start with, you know, the people and their commitment in a purpose-driven organization. So we're mutual. And we were formed in 1848 for our customers. And we exist today for our customers. There, you know, other than regulators, there aren't any other stakeholders that we exist for. And to start with, having that purpose and then people, generation over generation over generation, that really believe in that, that purpose and then build a culture around that purpose, that becomes pretty powerful and sustainable. Not easy. So in addition to that, I think there's things like resilience, perseverance, you know, pulling together through very difficult times and believing that you can you can persist the, the, the legacy is important. And lastly, I guess I'd say, you know, once you get to a certain level of, of legacy, it, there's some power in that foundation. And we, we talk about this even today in 2023, you know, uh, there's no shortage of challenges out there, but there's, there's something about having a foundation of knowing we've been through a civil war, World Wars, the Great Depression. I mean, you can go down the list and we know the folks that came before us, they made it through successfully. Uh, it was probably really hard. And, you know, there was probably all kinds of, of uh, tough times, uh, but we're here. And, and that, that gives us something that a lot of other places don't have. So I don't know, add all that up. It's, it, that's sort of a hodgepodge answer, but, but that, that's what I think about. A lot of threads there that that I'd love to pull on, and and we'll we'll maybe take them just one at a time. But you know, you mentioned you know eighteen forty eight, and and perhaps it it makes sense at this point just to to travel back in the proverbial time machine and you know understand what the problems those farmers were facing in eighteen forty eight were, and what what was the actual impetus for you know the founding of which I believe at the time wasn't even Westfield. It was, it was by a different name. Um, so you know, was, what was the vision and, and how did it actually come together? Yeah, sure. So as you mentioned, you, you used the word farmers. In Medina County, Ohio, in 1848, farming was the way of life. There were a lot of hardships in 1848 for, for folks who were farming, one of which was the threat of fire. So if you can put yourself back in that time frame, if a fire struck a farm it could literally devastate an entire family's lives permanently. So it was something that was feared greatly and, and was a, a regular threat. At that time, it was still, you know, our industry was still pretty nascent, but occasionally a carpetbagger would, would come through town, you know, selling fire insurance from an East Coast company. And, you know, the folks here uh, hadn't had great luck with actually, you know, receiving payments for stuff that they bought from folks that they really didn't know. And so the, the community leaders who were farmers, you know, I think talked a lot about this and were probably always talking about it. And, you know, how could they come together to figure out how to help the community with this, with this horrible threat? And so in the community, you know, general store here in Ben Austin's store in the Circle in Westfield Center, you know, this was a problem that they, that they discussed. And uh, they knew that there were... Or, you know, companies on the East Coast that were insurance companies, and they 
uh, identified one of our leaders who I think had a law background as well as farming, and they sent him off to Batavia, New York for a year plus to learn about insurance on the inside of a, of a property insurance company. And he came back and, and they together decided that uh, they wanted to form an entity that would share risk across the community and that would be, you know, part of the community, not something, you know, states away that they didn't have confidence in. And so uh, that, that's really the impetus. Um, and and that, that's how they, they got it started. Hmm. I, I imagine we could fill in an entire episode here just from there talking about the history of, of the whole organization and how it evolved, which I, I am really curious about, but perhaps you can provide a, you know, a, a compressed version of, you know, from, from that impetus, what, how does the whole journey kind of transpire and, and how uh, the company evolves in kind? Yeah, it, it's hard to compress 175 <laughs> years, but, uh, you know, the long and the short of it is they, they started a company which required a, an active state legislature at that time in 1848, which they received, and they began writing fire insurance. And, you know, as the decades passed, they, they were successful in, in pooling risk and taking care of customers. And so they grew, I would say, very incrementally over decades and decades. But then, you know, the world advanced and the automobile showed up and there, was, there were more risks to cover than just fire and society evolved. And uh, the company evolved with those changes. So we began writing auto insurance and other kinds of insurance that people needed. And we also began to expand throughout Ohio and then into neighboring states like Indiana and Michigan and West Virginia. You know, I'd say very incrementally throughout the rest of the 19th century and the first part of the, of the 20th century. And I'd say, you know, past World War II, we gained some, some scale and some steam and expanded into quite a few other states uh, with our portfolio of insurance offerings, all through independent agents, I should mention. We've always offered our products through the independent agency system in, in the United States and began to uh, grow more dramatically. We also got into some other businesses. Uh, we, we formed a life insurance company at one time, which we no longer have. There was actually a securities, like a mutual fund offering at, at, at one point in time. We started a, a contract surety organization, which is still in business today, working on their almost 70 years in business, which provides bonds uh, for, for contractors and some, some other kinds of bonds. And the business just just grew and became successful. And as we, you know, head into the 21st century, we're, you know, a multi-billion dollar organization that has the sophistication you would expect in the 21st century and continues to evolve our capabilities to meet the needs of our customers. But the, the thing that is the same is the reason we exist and what our focus is, which is our policyholders and our, and our customers. And you know, part of the other question you asked is, you know, at Westfield, especially as a leader, you learn throughout your career that your job is to, is to take the organization, make it better, focus on those customers, and then pass it on to the next generation uh, so that they can, they can do the same. When you reflect on, on your career personally, where, where does, you know, your experience intersect with Westfield? How is it that you found yourself, you know, at the organization? Good question, because, you know, I'm only a 37-year employee, not 175, <laughs> and so my, it's actually a fairly limited scope I've got, um, and I'm very honored to, to, to be leading the organization through this anniversary. But yeah, I started in 1986 right out of college. I needed a job, quite honestly, and uh, uh, my life was moving very, very fast at that point in time, a lot of things going on. 
Westfield was one of my one of my offers and, and options, and I didn't know anything about insurance. And uh, at the time, we had a very robust management training program for college graduates. And so me and 50 of my closest friends uh, convened together here in Westfield. And they, I like to say they taught us how to spell insurance. The first thing they did was take us through a three or four month curriculum where they really taught us the fundamentals of the business. And then we all went off into our, our disciplines. And uh, mine happened to be information technology. I had a computer science and a business degree. And so I went into the world of corporate IT for uh, you know, more than 20 years and had, I think, about 14 different jobs where I, you know, either worked in or led every aspect of, of our information technology. And that afforded me the opportunity to work with literally every area of our organization and to gain an understanding of our business end to end, including our distribution channel and our customers. So that was a great, great career experience for me. And it, it helped me cross paths with so many people around the organization and outside the organization that helped me learn that sort of led me into corporate leadership positions and led me to the role I've got today. Hmm. Had you anticipated at the time that, you know, in retrospect, this is, this is where you would, you would be today within the organization? Never in a million years, um, <laughs> never in a million years. I needed a job. I needed to support a, a new family and kids came very quickly and, it was probably about five years in before the light bulb sort of went off for me. I'm, I'm a bit of a slow, uh, slow learner that I had landed in a place that really was a purpose-driven organization. And that was different. It was different than what some of my friends and, and family members were talking about. And, and I noticed the culture that surrounded that and how special it was. And so it, it took me a, a little while to, to realize what I landed in. But once I did, I, uh, I thought it was, it was pretty cool. Uh, it is very cool. I'll pull back something that that you mentioned from a little earlier on, which is that over the course of the history of of Westfield, the the world at large has experienced some some pretty trying times over over those years. Everything, like you mentioned, from from wars, the Spanish flu, the Great Depression, world wars, economic recessions, the, the most recent pandemic, uh, natural disasters. You know, the the list goes on. And as a, a business that is based on understanding the risk that is associated with expected and unexpected events, you know, I'm, I'm curious just at a high level, you know, what is the philosophy around risk and, and how you think about that? Sure. It's really important question. It's the basis of what we do. You know, we, we try to understand risk and develop expertise in areas of risk. And, and we don't do that in an insular fashion, right? You have to be out in the world listening and learning from lots of people and, and experts to, under, to gain an understanding of risk. And then to take that understanding and to offer a risk transfer mechanism that's efficient and effective for customers. And that is an, a never-ending process, right? Because risk changes in the world that you just went through a litany of events that just tells us the world changes, right? And we all know that, but risk changes as well. And so the risks we deal with today are very different than those risks in 1848, and they'll be different tomorrow. And so understanding how those risks evolve, how society evolves, and then how we need to change our capabilities, our expertise, our understanding, and our products is just a process that has to constantly go on. It's just a, you know, never-ending activity. And one of the things we t in the industry we talk about is, you know, looking for new ways to uh, help people manage risk because there's lots of risk out in the world that insurance 
doesn't today really, you know, offer solutions for. And so there's there's all kinds of opportunity to to innovate and, and find unique ways to to help people. Do you find there is a, a tension between promoting that innovation that will help the organization build resiliency and, and you know a certain anti-fragility going forward, balanced against you know Westfield's history and tradition and kind of the the core identity? Is there a you know how, how do you kind of toe that that line? It's not easy, and I think it's a challenge, and uh, it's something that an organization like ours is is constantly working on. So it's interesting in the human dynamic when, when people see and feel 175 years, there's a great appreciation for that and, and awe, you know, but it also sort of brings this feeling of rigidity and lack of change, which is really interesting because the only way we got to be 175 is to constantly change throughout those right, 175 right. years. <laughs> And so, and because we're a mutual, you know, we're not a public company driven by shareholders and quarterly earnings, there is a danger that you can become rigid and overly conservative. And so I think part of my job and our leader's job here is to strike that balance, is to understand what's going on in the world, how risk is changing, and lead change in a, in a constructive, effective way and you know manage that balance and i would say you know that's a that's a big part of my job and has been for for quite a while i think that's probably a similar challenge that founders have when they go through multi generations right third three generations in it's it's easy i think for the mission to fade and so the other thing i would say is one of the ways we keep that balance alive is to make sure that mission doesn't fade and that we we are grounded in why we exist and you know our customers are changing the world's changing and our customers are changing so if we keep that front and center it'll help us manage that balance mm. i mean it's evident that the core theme here is is going to come back to people and you know grounded in in the in the mission i have a i mean i have a lot of questions but <laughs> i have a few follow-ups specifically on on that you know line of, of thinking which is i'll ask the first about kind of succession and you know, over the the very long course of time, you know, what was it like when you came into the role to lead the organization? What does the the planning process look like? How does how is it you know instrumented to keep the the entrepreneurial innovative spirit alive? And and how the organization at large kind of cultivates talent? Yeah, there's a lot in that. There's a, a bunch of questions. <laughs> you know, I think a lot of organizations do a great job with succession and they put a lot of energy and time and thought into it. We do as well. And I think because of our mission and our desire to be around for the next 100, 175 years, uh, our board, for example, takes succession extremely ser serious. And so, you know, there are multi-year planning activities and actions that go into place, as well as leadership development and ultimately, you know, selection and then implementation of succession plans that go into place. They, they, they really want to be sure that, you know, the leader that's in the role I'm in is, is going to persist the legacy and manage that balance between innovation and, and uh, conservatism that, that, that you mentioned. Beyond that, since I've been here at Westfield, there has been a huge focus on, on the development of our people 
throughout the entire organization. And I've benefited from that for sure throughout my 37 years. I've been very fortunate. Uh, and I think that's linked to this as well, right? Our people make this organization, period. And so investment in them, making sure that the culture persists and, and they create the culture that, that we think is important. Uh, there's a lot of focus on that. There's a lot of time and money spent continually uh, in, in that arena. Mm. It, it's it's really fascinating because it's from from my perspective in this kind of stark contrast to what I feel is the the culture, if you will, at very early stage companies where it's almost a cult of personality around the founder. But if you're to have this longevity, it, it really has to be grounded in in the mission and the the culture at large. It does. It does. You you just said that very very well. I don't know how many generations in we are, but we're we're a long way in generationally, and so leaders here need to be grounded in that mission. And we aspire to have a culture that really where where leadership is a collective activity. It's not, you know, driven by one you know one one character. And if we can achieve that, and that's a never-ending journey. But if we can, um, that will help, you know, pass this on to the next generation because it's not about the leader and their personality or their preferences. It's about the mission and it's about the culture and, and the culture can sort of persevere its, it, itself. It's a bit of a lofty goal, quite honestly. It's not easy yeah, <laughs> um, because, you know, people change. We hire hundreds of people every year and we're expanding and, you know, we're buying companies and, and expanding geography. And so, you know, it takes constant work to to try to achieve that aspiration, and and, and maybe we, I'm not sure we ever achieve nirvana there with the culture, but the effort I think makes it possible for us to persist the legacy. Yeah, maybe just a a, a tactical follow up to that one, which is you know what that looks a little bit more like in practice, because I, I feel like one of the problems that I would imagine is is the case with succession, and you know over time would be this kind of principal agent problem that that would chip away at you know the equity of a company over time where th there isn't that alignment of incentives so the the question being you know how do you align incentives over the long term to get the buy-in of, of everyone on the team yeah so the first thing that that I want to make sure everybody understands is as a mutual none of us own this organization so we exist for the policyholders. We're regulated by the state. And so if there would ever be a, a problem, you know, we could go into receivership and the state would take us over. But there's not this equity thing that that you just referred to with 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 founders. That that actually is a big piece of the puzzle, right? So beyond that, we all, you know, earn a market salary and and we do have incentives and we try to align those incentives to, you know, the financial goals that will create success for the organization not, you know, for our personal gain. And that means that back, back again, grounded in the mission and, and our customers. And so it's never easy, but, you know, at a, at a mutual, I think it is, a, it is different, right? Than a, whether it's a privately owned, family owned, or even a publicly held uh, entity, which uh, helps with, with what you referenced. So, so you had mentioned, you know, the the next 175 years, and I I want to I want to get to that future state and and hear about how you think about impact and and planning and uh, all the all the steps involved there. But I, I think it might be helpful just to set the stage before we talk about the future, um, just in the present. And I know at at some point, uh, I I don't know exactly when recently, but 
you know, Westfield Insurance, you you guys have dropped the insurance in, you know, perhaps a, a pursuit of a, a broader vision. And and so I, I'd love to hear from you, you know, just w- what does Westfield look like today? I'll describe it in a, a couple of components. We are a standard lines property and casualty company with a number of businesses, a portfolio of businesses that operate in the United States, regionally in 20 to 30 states, depending on what that is. And so that means personal insurance, so automobile and homeowners and umbrella insurance for individuals and families. And we also offer commercial insurance for businesses, you know, for general liability and property and, and, and auto. And that's really you know, and and farm owners, we, we still are in the agriculture space that goes back to our roots, and we are continuing to grow those businesses and expand those business. You know, some of those businesses uh, in the U.S. We also own a bank, so Westfield Bank uh, is about twenty one, twenty two years old. It's a very successful community bank here in Northeast Ohio. It also provides banking services to independent agencies across the entire country. And so that's part of our portfolio. And lastly, uh, we just, this is a new set of businesses. We started a specialty insurance business in the United States uh, a little less than two years ago that has grown very rapidly. And we just acquired a Lloyd's of London syndicate in London that will jumpstart our, the international arm of that specialty business. And so that, you know, that takes us into a completely new world of, of insurance. It's 50 states in, in, in the United States and ultimately, you know, a global kind of a footprint from a customer standpoint. So that's, that's Westfield today. I'd say, a, you know, somewhat complex portfolio of mostly insurance businesses and a successful community bank. On a quick detour related to that, really through the lens of acquisition uh, of other organizations, I think given how important, you know, the cultural tenets are of what you're, you're doing and that grounding in the mission, what does the, the vetting process look like for when you are considering a prospective, you know, acquisition? That vetting process needs to be way more than just charts and numbers and graphs. <laughs> right. Um, so there are, it's important to actually talk about values and culture. I mean, so that that vetting process, as you reference it, involves a lot of conversation and discussion and questions about values and, and culture. And I think a lot of folks that do acquisitions or inorganic growth would say the same thing, that that fit, a lot of people call it fit, is really important and can help turbocharge success or it can create all kinds of really, really interesting challenges. And so it, that's a high priority for us is to ensure we have at least foundational alignment around our values and culture. And then from there, there's a journey because uh, it takes time, you know, because all of a sudden you're, you got, you know, hundreds of people that show up and, and they've come from somewhere and, you know, they're coming into the Westfield family and we have to learn about them. They have to learn about us and by the way, we hire a couple hundred people a year as well beyond that, which is the same thing. And it's sort of, you know, helping them understand who we are, why we exist, what we're all about, and helping them sort of find their, their fit within, within this culture. So widening the aperture, you know, we can talk a little bit about the future. Is the timescale that you think about when you think about the future, is it 175 years out? Like what, what practically are, are you, you know, working through as a, as a team when you think about what comes next? Yeah. So I'm going to, I'm going to disappoint you here. It's nowhere near 175 <laughs> years. It's five to 10 max. And, and, you know, I'll tell you why in the 21st century, 
I don't know hardly anybody that really can predict 10 years out. I mean, if you just look at what's happened in the last few decades, and so I wonder at times how constructive it is to really try to plan, you know, that far out. Now, with that said, you know, five to 10 is, 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 is reasonable and, and, and we do have that kind of a lens. Just as importantly, though, is that, that culture that I talked about. If, if the culture is strong and, you know, we've got the right people, the way I look at it is in the next generation, regardless of what they'll have to deal with, flying cars and who knows what else, they'll have what they need to figure it out and to come up with a plan that's appropriate for the times to continue to provide, you know, to be an important part of society, you know, uh, helping our customers uh, be protected from risk. So understanding it's, it's not, you know, fully out there in, in the future, it's, it's a bit more practical. What, what has you most excited when you think about, you know, what's coming next, what's on the horizon for, for Westfield looking forward? Yeah, it goes back to that concept of evolving risk. If we think about our lives just as individuals and we think about businesses and what they were dealt with 20 years ago, 10 years ago, today, and what they'll be dealing with tomorrow, there's a lot of interesting opportunities. Uh, I sort of jokingly mentioned flying cars. That's going to happen. Um, There's a whole bunch of things that that we all know will happen. We're not exactly sure when it will happen, right? And so that's, that's... new problems to solve for customers. And that's part of that, you know, evolutionary process that is quite exciting for us, right? Insurance sounds pretty boring to lots of people, but when you get into this industry, you realize that it, that it's pretty, it's pretty darn interesting. And there's a lot of aspects that are very, uh, very intriguing. And so I think, as I look forward over the next 10, 20 years, you know, what we do is going to look very different and we will have to continue to evolve and change. Uh, to 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 climate change is another one. We're hearing about that on a daily basis, and we're hearing about the implications there. That has direct implications to our to our world, because we do insure property, not only in the United States, but you know, soon to be you know beyond the United States. And so, that's a really that's a great example of the world changing and the world evolving, and we've got to figure out how to change and evolve to 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 meet the implications of those those changes. What do you find are people's biggest misconceptions about perhaps not even Westfield, but insurance at, at large that, that you wish, you know, folks had a, a better grasp of. It's a very complicated business that involves a contract that is usually scores and scores of pages long and, and full of legal terminology. And that makes it very difficult for the average person to understand. I think most people you know, at the highest level understand they need it. And it is a way to protect them. But, you know, I, I think we are constantly trying to figure out how to simplify the understanding for, for the average customer out there. And because it is a legal contract, it does have to have legal terminology because if it doesn't, you won't stay in business very long. Uh, and, but that's, that's something we, our industry is constant, constantly working to, uh, to achieve. The other thing I would say is, you know, I mentioned this already, that it's sort of a boring, staid, multiple, you know, 200-year-old industry. It's a pretty old industry, but once you, once you work in the industry, you realize it is, is anything but boring. Uh, and it could be <laughs> very interesting and lots of different career, different kinds of career opportunities with the, within a company like Westfield. What do you find are the, the biggest challenges facing Westfield 
maybe another way of phrasing that is like, you know, what, what does keep you up at night? Un- understanding that, you know, constantly evolving to risk is, is part of the, the whole process. Yeah. I mean, that, that would range from anything from, uh, you know, really dramatic catastrophic weather events that would impact large swaths of our customers, right? That, that, that's one of our top five risks that we, we monitor and manage carefully, but that's, that's always a possibility. You know, I think an unusual or abrupt shift in how we are regulated within the United States and even, even beyond the United States that could force us to change the way we do business and potentially make us less relevant for customers is a concern and a, and a worry. Uh, so, so there's a couple of examples. Uh, the last thing I'd say, though, is because of the way our industry is built and, and the assets that we're required to carry to cover future liabilities, because we don't know our cost of goods sold when we, when we make a sale, we're a very resilient industry. And it's a perfect timing to talk about this because we've got a bit of a banking thing going on out there with a couple yeah, of banks <laughs> in the United States and now with Credit Suisse in, in Europe. And uh, you can find quite a bit out there that, that contrasts our industry. We're, you know, we're always the last man standing. We, you know, I like to say we have to be there when everybody else isn't. Whether it's the Great Depression, the, the Great Recession, the pandemic, we have lots of experience where you know the industry's there, uh, and we're built we're built for that, and so that helps me sleep. Quite honestly, um, yeah. you know, there's other industries that that just don't have that kind of stability. Well, it it, it seems it's it's not just a stability. It's there's a certain discipline that that is required. That I don't know. Thinking even just more generally about humans, that we're not. It doesn't come naturally. <laughs> I feel like that level of of discipline. How um, structurally is that you know kind of woven into the, yeah. the organization? It's a great point because it does take discipline, and there's a lot of experts in a company like Westfield. I mean, a lot that help us understand the past and analyze the past and look at trends. You know, all of that expertise understands will always be wrong. Predicting the future is impossible. We're going to do the best we can, but but we're going to have a conservative philosophy there because we want to be there for the next day for our customers after the calamity happens. And so, you know, understanding trends and projecting the future and then under, understanding we're going to be wrong and accounting for that does take discipline. But if you do it, you know, and you experience it, you know, over and over again, you realize how critical that discipline is. And very few property casualty organizations fail, but the ones that do you know, generally have lost their discipline in, in managing their capital to ensure that they're, they're prepared. How do you think about competition and, and kind of, you know, differentiation, Westfield's advantage within the market at, at large? With such an old industry, differentiation can be very difficult. And I think this is another thing that's tough for customers because they often aren't, don't really see a, a big difference. At Westfield, we go right back to our people. Part of our culture is empathy and caring. You can take all the technology that we all have and the products that are sophisticated and, and how we deliver those. All that stuff's critically important. If you add a, a human element of caring into that, it, it is magic. And, you know, I know it sounds trite, but it's real. We're all still human beings and we all still still have feelings and we care. 
And so our claims operation would be just one example. Uh, we have hundreds and hundreds of stories about how we go about handling, you know, an event a customer has that can be minor or it can be it can be catastrophic. And, you know, that caring showing through really can be differentiating. Hmm. So understanding the, you know, the practical time horizon is, is, is in the, the nearer future. But when you do think about that next 175 years, it's just, it's an interesting question to even like think about at all. Cause I, I don't, I don't think most, you know, startups think about necessarily like legacy or, or you know, what, what is the impact that you hope to have looking back in retrospect and, and what success actually looks like. So I'm, I'm curious if, if that, if, if, if you even think about that or if, if there's an intentionality around that? I'd say we think about it in the sense that for the time that, that we're here in this generation, we want to position the organization the best we possibly can for success for the next couple of generations. So that is what talent do we need? What capabilities do we need? What moves do we need to make in the portfolio of our businesses so that that next couple of generations, you know, isn't behind the eight ball, but they're actually on the front foot and positioned to serve even, even more, even more customers. That's a mentality that, that I think I have and, and many of us have, have here at Westfield. So what would you say is success? You know, what, what is it? What does that mean? It's first and foremost, being there for our, for our customers when they need us. And growing our, you know, serving more customers. We're we're a really important part of society. You and I couldn't live the lives we live without the ability to transfer risk efficiently, whether it's our cars or houses or or anything else. Offering that service to society and then expanding it, serving more customers, that goes right at our mission. And we, you know, we often say, you're either a growing, thriving organization or you're probably declining. And we don't want to be declining which means we want to continue to be growing and thriving. And by the way, it's a whole lot more fun to, to be part of a growing, thriving organization than one, than, than one that's going the other way. So w- one thing I, I wanted to ask you about, and I, I think it's, it's perhaps related to the culture piece, but you know, in this ever increasingly remote, friendly world that, that we're living in, I, I do know that there is a importance to kind of a, a proximity of people that you have at, at Westfield and in just in, in researching, you know, the story that, you know, it's a whole community and, and town that's, that's based around the, the organization. So I'd love to just hear what that actually looks like in, in, in practice and, and how, how you think about its importance. It's extremely important. Uh, I should say sort of pre-pandemic, I think a good 25% of our our employees were fully remote workers around the United States. So that's not a foreign concept to us. With that said, you know, we now have a higher percentage of fully remote and a pretty high percentage percentage of hybrid workers and more geographically spread, uh, you know, all, all over the place. And so it's made us think uh, more and, and harder about culture. The culture we aspire to, we articulate very clearly and we have practices that we know if we exhibit those behaviors and practices will promote the culture. And we found that those practices can be effective, you know, in, remotely as well as in person. With that said, it's easier in person. 
there's just something natural that occurs between human beings when you are, you know, not staring each other through a through through, through a webcam. And so we're we're figuring things out along with everybody else here, right? I mean, I think things are still changing. It's still so soon since the the, the pandemic that I think there's just more to learn, uh, and and we're we're definitely learning and adjusting. Hmm. So I want to ask a few uh, more personal questions about you know your your own journey through this um, and and some of the you know reflections or, or learnings that that you've had in, in this role. And to start, I'll I'll just ask you know what what are you most proud of reflecting on on your career at at Westfield. Um, I mean, I, I'm, proud, I'm proud of the success the organization has had in 37 years and the, the, the magnitude of growth and the customers that we serve and, and how we go about our business. But I, you know, I'm probably most proud about how the culture has evolved. It's more clear than it was 37 years ago. It was sort of in the air, you know, it was in the ether. And, and after some period of time, you sort of got it. Uh, and now we're just very overt about articulating what it is and, and, and why we desire a certain culture and then what the behaviors or practices are that really help promote that culture. That's, that's I think, accelerated our ability to, to persist that culture. And I hope, you know, long after I'm gone, that work will help persist the place for, for generations to come. So that's, I'd probably put that at the top of the list. What have been the, the most surprising lessons that you've taken with you, things that, you know, really you, you did not anticipate or expect coming into it? You know, I, I, I've got a technology background. I spent a whole lot of years in, the, in the, the world of complex technology, which was great. I enjoyed it, loved it. You know, at some point in my leadership journey, I realized technology is great, but it doesn't matter. People, people make everything work. And at the crux of just about every challenge, you know, comes down to people. And so my emphasis definitely shifted from early on in my career to, to what I paid the most attention to, to definitely where it is today. All of that stuff is super important and it's very cool. And having the capabilities our customers want and need is critical, but the people behind all that or riding alongside all that are, are more important. That's probably the, I'm not sure it's surprising, but it's uh, definitely a a great learning of mine through through my career. Yeah, no, that that one actually resonates quite quite a lot. I've I've also found that it's uh it's a, it ultimately always comes back to people. That's a good thing. <laughs> it is a good thing. It is a good thing. For a entrepreneur who is thinking about in this context trying to build an organization that outlives their own time at it. What advice would you would you offer up? You know, I, if I reflect on the Westfield story and I, and I try to put myself in those folks' shoes, I think it's, you know, entrepreneurship is about taking risk. And I would say don't let maybe a desire or a thought about legacy and multi-generations, you know, hamper your willingness to take risks. So those folks that started Westfield, they took a huge risk that had probably a high likelihood of failure. And I'll tell you, within the first five years, they made a couple of decisions and they made some moves that were, we still to this day don't know exactly why, but boy, they were, in hindsight, great moves. Uh, but but they, they, they didn't stop taking risk and doing what they thought made sense and, and, and was right. When you get, you know, maybe over a couple of humps in, in the startup entrepreneurship mode, 
you know, you can start to think more about about legacy, and and I think you know, family-owned organizations do this for for sure. But uh, um, don't let it take your eye off the ball. <laughs> yeah, it's it's challenging because I I think that in just a, a survey of of history of companies is at the heart of why most of them will will fail over time. So. I think we've we've covered a, a lot of ground here, and before we make our way to our, our kind of closing questions, I just want to pose a greenfield, you know, question space for for comment. You know, are are there aspects of of your own journey of of the work you're doing at Westfield, kind of doubling down on anything that we talked about that you feel is is particularly important that that we haven't you know gotten into the depth that you would like to. You've covered a lot. I'm not sure I've got anything that. Uh that I would pull forward that, that you haven't, you haven't touched on. I've heard you were a great interviewer. So. <laughs> well, thank you. Well, our, our traditional closing question is uh, for not necessarily your favorite thing in, in Cleveland and in the greater Northeast Ohio area, but for something that other folks may not know about uh, a hidden gem, if, uh, if you will. So I'll, I'll ask you for a hidden gem in the Yeah, area. I knew this was coming and you know, I thought <laughs> about it and fortunately, I don't think there's that many hidden gems. I can't come up with anything that people would know about the 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 one thing I would for me personally and my wife that might put into that category is uh on the culinary front and it would be Momocho mod, modern me- Mexican cuisine in, in Ohio City. We just have for years and years absolutely loved uh, that place, and it reminds me that uh, I got to get back. We got to get back there at some point because it's been a little while. But uh, <laughs> I don't think that's a hidden gem. But maybe maybe there's some folks out there that that haven't heard of it, and if you haven't, check it out because it's uh, it's world class. I second that. It is it is one of my favorites. I'm, cool. I'm glad you mentioned it. <laughs> well, Ed, I I really appreciate you know you coming on and taking the time. I want to. You know, congratulate you again on on 175 years. It's I think it's it's, it's an extraordinary uh, milestone, and so uh, really appreciate it. I, I really enjoyed uh, the the conversation today. I, I did too. Thanks for having me. And as uh, as we say at Westfield, uh, after 175 years, forever forward. If folks had anything that they wanted to follow up with you about, uh, what what would be the the best way for for them to do so? Yeah, uh, I'd say email would be great. So it's Ed Largent at WestfieldGRP.com. I'm on LinkedIn as well. So that'd be another way. Well, thank you again, Ed. Thanks, Jeffrey. That's all for this week. Thank you for listening. We'd love to hear your thoughts on today's show. So if you have any feedback, please send over an email to Jeffrey at LayOfTheLand.fm or find us on Twitter at PodLayOfTheLand or at SternHefe, J-E-F-E. If you or someone you know would make a good guest for our show, please reach out as well and let us know. And if you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or on your preferred podcast player. Your support goes a long way to help us spread the word and continue to bring the Cleveland founders and builders we love having on the show. We'll be back here next week at the same time to map more of the land. The Lay of the Land podcast was developed in collaboration with the Up Company LLC. At the time of this recording, unless otherwise indicated, we do not own equity or other financial interests in the company which appear on the show. All opinions expressed by podcast participants are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of any entity which employs us. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. Thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next week.